Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child, who was born last December. Welcome to this week's episode of Startup Dads. I'm delighted to welcome Paul Kemp-Robertson to the show. Paul, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what makes you a startup dad? Hi, yes, uh, thank you for having me. I'm Paul Ken Robertson. I'm the, the co-founder and chief brand officer of a company called Contagious, which has been quite interesting to operate during a global pandemic. Um, so Contagious briefly um, serves the, the global marketing industry. We're a sort of creative and strategic intelligence resource that is designed to sort of inspire and enable marketers and agencies to do more brave, effective, contagious creativity. So we sort of act almost like as a, a global sat-nav for the communications industry, trying to help people make change, uh, a sense of all the change and disruption that, that's going on in the world um, and how to sort of navigate the immediate future of marketing and all the challenges that that throws up. So myself, proud Yorkshireman, I don't sound it, um, which I'm sort of slightly sad about because uh, I've been in London for over 30 years, but originally from Middlesbrough in North Yorkshire, uh, now living in St Albans, father of three, older kids, I think, uh, than you, uh, and a dog, and keen football fan, Middlesbrough, um, which helps prepare you for a lifetime of uh, disappointment, uh, more lows <laughs> than highs. <laughs> I actually um, introduced my son to Middlesbrough at the age of six, and it's been a very good lesson in sort of dampening his um, his expectations <laughs> on life. Life um, lessons. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So, Paul, I'd love to ask about your motivation and journey when you set up Contagious, because from what I can see, you did it when your kids were quite young. So I'd love to hear about the thought process that you had when you took the plunge and how you made it work. Yeah, I mean, my kids were two, four and eight, two girls and a boy. Um, so it came about because I sort of was involved in a startup at the beginning of my career. You know, I went to Goldsmiths, did English drama, you sort of stumble out into the into the world. This was before the internet, I have to uh, have to stress. <laughs> so my, my sort of uh, chances of getting a job was based on whatever was in the Guardian uh, newspaper on a Thursday in their media section. Opportunities were limited, but I sort of very luckily stumbled into um, a job at a company called Shots. It was a sort of a game aimed at the advertising industry and it was like a tv show produced on a videotape with a little magazine attached and then from there i went into leo burnett um, worldwide which is a big global advertising agency um, where suddenly for the first time in my career turning left on the plane had an expense account you know vp on my business card double salary all that sort of malarkey lived in chicago um, to the point where my son was actually born in chicago and then i sort of ended up coming back to the uk with this job and then I just sort of fell out of love with it a bit I'd sort of done everything that was expected of me my boss who was the one that sort of inspired me to go to Chicago and move the family out there so I sort of negotiated um, a redundancy because it was sort of on the cards anyway there'd been a takeover and I could see what was sort of coming because I'm, I'm not from a sort of privileged background I think I was the first person in my family to go to uni went to a comprehensive in Middlesbrough and so on so that redundancy money gave me a little bit of a cushion 
And um, I had the option of sort of doing a very similar job at another global international advertising agency. And that would have been the obvious choice, the safe choice. But then the idea for Contagious came, as all best ideas do, was in a pub, talking to my old boss at Shots, who'd sort of sold that business and moved on. And we were sort of sitting thinking, like, if we were back at our old business, we'd make it very, very different because we just felt the the world had moved on in terms of technology and audience behaviours and that the advertising industry just needed something that was sort of looking at the future of all these new things that were were happening. So things like sort of Facebook and YouTube didn't really exist as businesses at that time. Mobiles weren't particularly smart, but there was this massive sort of sense of ferment change and disruption. So that's where we had the idea for Contagious as a sort of new editorial resource for the industry. So bringing the best of what I'd learned in my old job at Shots, plus everything I'd learned working with big brands and looking at creativity and effectiveness within Leo Burnett. And we sort of sketched it out on a, on a beer mat, which I wish I'd kept and I haven't. <laughs> uh, again, I think, you know, with, with sort of startups, often you do have to use your networks and it's a question of who you know. And if you have got contacts and foot in doors, don't be afraid to use them. So we mm. just took this idea to um, someone called John Gordon, who now runs a company called the How To Academy, who's an incredibly well-connected sort of London media entrepreneur. And um, at one point, my previous company was part of, of his group of companies. So we sort of knew him, all of his um, key management sort of personnel. So we sort of took this sort of idea for Contagious on a single piece of paper and pitched it to him. Because I think his company sort of needed a fresh injection of new ideas and a sort of future-facing product like Contagious. So he was just smitten by the idea. Um, and we sort of said, well, okay, you can have half of it if you pay for all of it. Um, <laughs> and again, just naivety, cheekiness. We were so passionate about this idea. And I think he could see it and could see the potential. So he agreed um, to fund it by a, a company called Extreme Information. So we sort of basically had this idea. And it just meant that there was a certain amount of risk taken out. So I didn't get paid. I mean, I guess, you know, when you talk about being an entrepreneur, and what, what sort of sacrifices you have to make was that, you know, for the first year of Contagious, I didn't draw a salary because we had to obviously mm. build income. So I had to do all sorts of sort of freelance gigs because the, the redundancy would only last for, for so long with mortgages to pay and, and so on. So I was just lucky in the sense that the risk in terms of the business side of things was was taken care of. Um, so we were part of a traditional, you know, established company. So we didn't have to worry about who was going to help to take care of our IT, empty the bins, lock the door at night, all the sort of basics that you need. And this was, again, 2004. So things like WeWork and those sort of hub spaces didn't really exist. So we just sort of felt that rather than trying to do it completely on our own and remortgaging the house and all the sort of scary things that often entrepreneurs have to do, that a certain amount of risk was taken out by A, having access to the structure of a company, but also their staff and their contacts, you know. So we managed to get the product made very, very quickly. So from an idea on a piece of paper, Contagious, its first format was the magazine, a DVD, like a TV show style DVD of all the best ads worldwide and new technologies and so on, and um, obviously a website. And we went from, you know, presenting this idea in May, creating the sort of company in September, and then the first product was out in December. So, you know, it was very, very fast because we could pull in all this external expertise from Extreme. And our first client, you know, again, one of the challenges for a startup is to who are you going to sell it to? You know, you need a customer base and that's the hardest thing to drive awareness and, and so on. And we were lucky that um, Xtreme already had this massive kind of portfolio of blue chip clients and advertising agencies. And our very first subscriber was Coca-Cola. 
because they were wow. spending six figures with extreme information on, they used to do media monitoring. So they would track all of uh, your sort of competitive advertising around the world and provide it to you. So the idea of buying a sort of thousand pound editorial subscription product about the future of the marketing industry was almost like buying a muffin at the same time as buying a latte <laughs> type thing. You know, so it's like, yeah, fine, we'll try it. You know, So we were just lucky that we got established quickly and we could just focus all of our energy on making the product as good as we possibly could with very very limited resources it was like three of us we got a staff of 40 people now and we managed to get the first product out with a full-time staff of three it's amazing isn't it i often think you look back on that era at the very early stages of startup and you think about how much you achieve when you're moving in a very agile way with tremendous focus a small team without the management overhead that's a really cool story and i must say again just having really strong sort of foundations in your life like I don't want it to sound sort of Hollywood Oscar speech type thing but I literally could not have done it without my wife because you know she took a decision to um, she's a specialist teacher she works with um, dyslexic kids and um, consults around sort of special needs and so on and um, she'd taken a career break because of the children you know it was her deliberate decision she wanted to be with the children and my mm. job at Leah Burnett meant a lot of international travel and stuff so she said like you know they need a rock and they need a that sort of security and stability so I could not have done the business without a really really strong committed partner and I think again she understands what's important like don't sweat the small stuff and again it was like if you don't do this if you don't follow your dream you're really passionate about this idea this is the one shot you know if you don't do it now you'll just get into another big corporate job and, and that, that the moment will have passed so if you believe in it I believe in it we'll make it happen give it a year and then if not you just go back into corporate world with the tail between your legs and uh, we'll still have a house then it's fine that's a fantastic condensed insight into all the things that you need like you say the network asking for for help the right support from your partner uh my, i remember my wife saying something very similar in a slightly different way in her very blunt way so that'll be absolutely unbearable if i don't give it a go for the rest of my life so <laughs> so no can i ask because i think the world that we work live in now is very different in its attitude towards flexibility and making it work how was it back then you know you had three young kids you had an amazing wife supportive wife but you know the attitude that people have ha had i feel like it's changed even in just the last three or four years it seems to have changed how was that yeah i think it has i think i'd rather you know I mean, don't get me wrong I've, I've loved every minute of it i've got three mm. fantastic kids we've got well, my interpretation is we've got a very uh, you know, <laughs> strong and stable relationship and i love them to bits but i think corporate culture has definitely changed it would be good to be a dad young, you know to young kids now because i think there's just more awareness technology wasn't quite as liberated as it is now so there's a very much sense of presenteeism that you had to sweat, you know, that, that your currency was was sweat kind of thing. You know, you had to put the hours in to be seen and and so on. Um, and also, to be fair, you know, the, the patriarchy was still probably a bit more established. So there yeah. was a sense that men were the primary income drivers, traditionally, the idea of a breadwinner and, and so on. So I think there was a sense that a man would be more expected to, to put in the hours to, to sort of do the, the big job and the wife should be expected to you know, sit back or take some time off or maybe not, you know, which is terrible when you think about it. But if you look at the whole society, media, the expectations, church, whatever, it was just very much like that was the established way of doing things. And I think for me, it was just a question of trying to find 
that balance so that yes you know work was all consuming there was times where like you know we did our first couple of magazines we had to pull all nighters to get them to the printing press on time with no mistakes in them and um i was to say lots of travel i think in the first few years of contagious i was probably away three months of the year we're a global product so again you've got to get out there and be seen and speak at conferences and and do the meetings and so on but I thought when I was at home I sort of the children were a massive priority so you know I didn't devote time into into hobbies and interests that my interest was was the kids weekends were standing on the side of a freezing cold rugby pitch watching my son getting squashed by 15 other other yeah. kids or, or netball or whatever with the girls you know and it was just literally spending time being the taxi driver being there at parties sort of just getting yeah your hands dirty with paint and dressing up and whatever and we lived outside of London um just like we're in sort of St Albans town centre now but then when the kids were little we were in the countryside and they had a very sort of swallows and amazon sort of lifestyle where we just out all the time getting dirty playing fields rivers you know sort of chasing rabbits and <laughs> looking at woodpeckers and and all that sort of stuff climbing trees so uh, it was just nice to get that sense of devoting time to them and showing that I was devoting time to them and work was work and, and home was home kind of thing. There's a lot to be said about focus, isn't there? I think about, you know, like yeah. you say, if you're going to be away very intensely, but then come back and be very present intensely, it's a very yes. valuable thing too. I think it's something I've sort of tried to bring with me as, as the sort of companies evolved. As I say, you know, we started in 2004 and it's like, I know that if you work in advertising agencies and stuff, the culture is very much that, um, you know, you work very intensely and weekdays, weekends sometimes blur. And at Contagious, we've tried to make it so that there's, you know, people work hard, don't get me wrong. And there are sort of time crunches for certain times of year when we're doing events, but very little expectation to be working on weekends. And I think you've got to sort of lead by example in that sense. So I think weekends are sort of as sacred as we can possibly make them and we've tried through you know lockdown to sort of give give days off you know just decompress and or afternoons off or like today is the football we're finishing at four for the England game and that kind of thing you know that's fantastic I think that that art of learning teaching yourself that it's a marathon not a sprint it's harder than it sounds but it's a very valuable thing if you if you can do it well Yes, absolutely. And I just think nowadays there's more sort of expectation that fathers lean in more, there's more kind of equality of relationships, but equally that you're not defined by your job. I think that was sort of very much part of the culture, all that sort of machismo and uh, driven by money and status. And I think now that some of the, the metrics that you judge you know, yourself by are much kind of softer and more kind of holistic or more, more kind of 360. For sure. And being a devoted dad and sort of creating time in your life to, to spend time with kids, it's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about. It's not a weakness to want to go to a sports day or a school play. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a really great so, uh, segue for me to ask you a little bit more about Contagious and, you know, the focus that Contagious has on the future and how that potentially influences your attitude to parenting. So, you know, I've seen loads of the amazing work that Contagious puts out, thinking about how the world's going to be different and trends that drive change. What are the key trends and challenges you see that you want your kids to be well equipped to challenge and tackle? I think because my kids, you know, my, my eldest daughter is 25. She works as a pastoral care um, worker in a secondary school. My son's just graduated. He's 21 from Durham in business management. And then my youngest daughter is about to start Bristol University to do English. And it's almost like I learn a lot from them. I sort of use them as barometers and sense checks and will often bring them up in sort of conversations at Contagious editorially. It's like, you know, well, my kids kids see this think this whatever and I think that one of the sort of key trends that we're looking at at Contagious which is obviously you know no surprise 
advice to, to anyone is around sustainability. And we have a section within the magazine called Planet Matters. So we're looking at what companies do to sort of innovate around either new technologies or, or new forms of product or partnerships or whatever. But my kids will often influence, you know, my behavior to a certain extent. They very rarely buy new clothes, for instance. They're very much into sort of the vintage, the Depop or, or, or secondhand clothes and, and so on. So I sort of started to see that before necessarily thinking about that from a sort of contagious point of view. So what I've sort of tried to instill in them is that their opinion is very important, very significant, just as much as, as you know, as, <laughs> as mine. That I can't force. I think that's one of the sort of mistakes that um, very traditional parents try and make is to impose their worldview and their beliefs on on their kids and you just you just can't do that you know so I think particularly with my sort of youngest daughter is a around sort of sustainability but also she's sort of doing English and and so on she's like a really keen feminist like you know actively writing and reading around sort of women's issues and so on and that just sort of helps me sort of understand a lot of the gender biases she sort of does a lot of research around sort of trans transgender conversations and you know in some of my age sometimes it's difficult to sort of understand the nuances and the rights and the wrongs and the, the sort of woke culture that's around on twitter to use a very disparaging term and it's nice to be able to unpack and unpick by using them almost as a sort of focus group as to well, why does your generation think like this? Or what, what do you, you know, how are you looking at, at this particular piece of news or information? And even on a simple level, <laughs> looking at how, how they, 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 they regard the idea of phoning someone without planning in advance has been incredibly rude. Yeah. And it interruptive, you know, putting full stops at the end of a text message. Why are you angry with me? And all that sort of stuff. You know? So you pick up on on all these little uh, little signals. <laughs> I think um, the other thing is around sort of inclusivity as well. We just did a session last week that we call Walk the Work, which is looking at all of the the sort of key trends and themes that emerged at the sort of Cannes Lions Festival, which is like the advertising sort of Oscars where everyone gets together and assesses all the best best work worldwide. And I think that inclusivity was one of the the sort of drivers that it's been around for a few years. But it's like a lot of brands are now really starting to sort of invest and sometimes kind of going into quite niche sort of subject areas and areas where they could easily alienate and offend their mass audience, but they're prepared to sort of take a stand because they believe in complete diversity, inclusivity, and so on. So things like MasterCard have done something called True Name, where it's a credit card aimed at people from the sort of transgender community that have really struggled because they have a, a chosen name that's different from their given name and they can't have a bank card or they run into abuse because the name on the card is different to how they look when they're presenting themselves at a cash register. So MasterCard have overcome that by creating a special a special card or you're looking at body form um the sort of feminine hygiene brand they were the ones that completely revolutionized the sort of period category by showing real blood in feminine hygiene product advertising and that journey's now taken them on to looking at endometriosis and like womb stories as they call it and um, actually starting to rewrite medical textbooks because they've redefined what the pain scale is for women around and endometriosis um, and subject areas like that where brands are really starting to try and help ease some sort of friction points or behaving as almost like as NGOs, like trying to fill some of the gaps that, that governments and institutions aren't either equipped or willing to, to fill. So there's lots of interesting conversations, you know, I have with my kids around that sort of stuff. And I often use the kids as sense checks. It's like, well, the industry is telling us that this work is really important and everyone's talking about it and it's changing the world. Have you seen it? 
and if you have, what do you think of it? If you haven't seen it, why not? And it's just, it's really nice to use them as my sort of uh, focus group. And they sort of keep, keep it real, very good at puncturing bubbles and say, oh, dad, you know, that bull, that's bullshit. Or, you know, <laughs> come back off your high horse or whatever. Yeah, so it's just nice to get a different grounded perspective. That's a super, super cool insight. As you say, you know, who's better to give you insights into the future and trends than the people who are living it? I've also, again, it's one of the benefits of being co-owner of a company is that I've tried to involve the children within the business so that when we've done events, you know, they've come and helped to work as ushers or whatever. They've done a bit of internship. It's just good sometimes just for them to get in and, you know, when they've had to do work experience at work, you know, come in and, and spend time in the office and hang out with different sort of departments. So A, they get a sense of how businesses tick, but also just see, well, so that's what dad does when he, you know, goes off on the train, doesn't come back for 12 hours. I think that just helps to sort of create a sort of connection in their head as to as to what you do. Because while we've got this sort of uh, joke within the family, because my wife, you know, as I say, she works in education. She's been a teacher. She works with, um, you know, dyslexic kids and autistic kids and so on. So it's almost like she's restored. I've got the bad karma. I've sold my soul to the advertising devil. And she's, <laughs> she's, she's got the karma that restores. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just been nice for the kids to sort of see, well, you know, this industry is incredibly creative. Look at some of the work that comes through that can be very sort of purpose-driven, can change the world or just transform the fortune of a, of a brand, which is all about jobs and, and innovation at the end of the day. So they see that, you know, that there is a point to, to business and marketing and, and so on. So it's given them a nice kind of perspective. I'm interested on a relationship no. Do you think the career path you've taken has influenced them? You know, do they have a perspective on entrepreneurship that maybe they wouldn't have done had you not been building a business yourself? I, yeah, I would hope so. I think my eldest daughter sort of followed my wife into into education. Um, my son has just finished doing business at um, at Durham, and I think very much for him, I think yeah. I mean, he spent you know a lot of time. Um, at Contagious side, the part of events or, or doing work experience. And I think that, you know, I hope that my journey has sort of helped, helped him in his kind of thing because he's seen how businesses operate, how it's all about ideas ultimately. One of the things that I hope sort of characterises Contagious journey is that I really sort of passionately believe in what it is that we do. And it's not about the money, not about trying to build a, an empire and sell and have a, a tropical island and, and so on. It's about, you know, an idea that we believe in, building a culture, building a product and investing time and energy and making it as good as you possibly can. So I think, you know, he's come out of a business degree and um, is about to get a job in um, a sort of programmatic advertising company. So he's completely, you know, sort of stayed within my universe with my daughter she's sort of fascinated with how a lot of the brands that we feature can use their sort of media power um, the fact that they've got a lot of kind of influence and muscle by having sort of media expenditures so they can get their message out in front of a lot of eyeballs but also that they're powered by you know partnerships with creative agencies so they can take very sort of complex problems and, and provide a very sort of compelling creative sometimes simple graspable solution so i think that's something that she's sort of taken is like the power of communication that's sort of something that hopefully will 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 help her you know beyond her, her university career that's super cool paul i'd like to ask you the question that i ask every guest now what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you'd like to pass on to your kids i think it's having a 
passion for the idea that you want to want to invest your time and energy and so on because don't go in it expecting to make loads of money because and, you know people like Richard Branson and so on have always said this but it's like make sure that you've got an idea that you believe in that's got some sort of substance and for, for us it was like it has to answer some sort of friction point people talk about spotting gaps in the market for us it was very much a question of this is something we think the advertising industry needs because there's a lot of crap out there it's like yes a lot of advertising is noise and annoying and it's spam and it's this and it's that but at its very very best that sort of top five percent of advertising it's the stuff that is capable of, of changing behaviors changing the world acting as an as i say brands as ngo or just come up with the creativity that moves you it's brilliant it's ingenious and so on so it's like we want to celebrate that uh, in a way that provides a satellite navigation guide for the industry so that was our friction point we could see that not enough resources were going into showcasing the best and also having a point of view so it's like having a really really strong sense of what you want to do and the problems it's going to solve but believing passionately in it and then the reward should almost be secondary if you go into an idea purely because you think it's going to make you millions chances are you're going to fail because you don't have that authenticity and and, and drive to get it made also it's um be prepared to change, be prepared to adapt, you know, be prepared to listen to other people and, and react to your sort of audience. We've kind of moved from being, you know, as I say, a magazine, a DVD and an online resource to now something that's, you know, the magazine is about 6% of our business. 40% of our business is advisory. You know, we've got a consultancy division because we're in a sort of sweet spot of being able to look at the impact of new technology, new behaviours on brands, looking at a global perspective, but being honest and objective and critical because we're coming at it from an editorial point of view. So we've got this advisory service that works with big brands and agencies and also an events division as well that we've obviously had to do digitally over the past 18 months. But if you look at how the business started and where it is now, it's different, but we've just had to adapt and, and be agile, as you said earlier, because things change. You're absolutely right. Paul, that's been an absolutely amazing episode. Before we close up, we close each episode with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light on some of the organisations in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. Paul, who's your Startup Shoutout this week? I would like to shout out a little company um, that we just started interacting with for Boonie Box. And it's a company that basically provides these beautiful little boxes of goodies. And we use it um, to provide like birthday gifts or anniversary gifts or kind of well done gifts for uh, people within Contagious and our suppliers and so on. And it's um, basically you get these little boxes full of very kind of ethically sourced goods. So like really nice kind of food snacks or little candles or whatever. But all of the, the profits go into um, refugee programs and an education program in Nepal and it's just a really kind of lovely kind of circular circular business model for me um, that, that actually puts something back and is meaningful but when you get one of these boxes there's packs full of such like interesting goodies that it's a real kind of uh, gives you a moment of joy in a sort of uh, you know sometimes uh, complex and cluttered world and it's just yeah I, I just really love boonie boxes that's super cool super great we'll be sure to give them a shout out on social media 
Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That's been absolutely awesome. And personally, some really great insights for me when Evie's got a few more years uh, under her belt. So I'll be taking a few lessons and tips from today's episode of Forward in Life. I've now turned into the, the, one of those old people that we used to meet when our kids were young about who would say, enjoy it while it lasts, it goes so quickly. <laughs> and that is absolutely true. It absolutely flies by. So you just got to really, really enjoy the moments because you literally sneeze and she will be graduating from university. So uh, those moments i feel like it was just yesterday when yeah she was a newborn now she's running around dismantling my podcast microphone every every day so <laughs> brilliant stuff paul is there anything you'd like to announce or anything how can we find out a little bit more about you and contagious the easiest way in is the contagious commandments book published by penguin a couple of years ago and it's basically the 10 steps to brand bravery it's applicable beyond advertising you know we've got a lot of schools colleges people outside of the advertising industry people you know startup entrepreneurs are sort of buying it because it's just got these kind of 10 steps as to the only way that you're going to succeed and stand out is to is to take risks and to look at things through a sort of brave prism because if you follow what everyone else is doing you don't stand out but how saying be brave and saying take risks is one thing but how do you actually do it so we try to come up with a series of steps backed up with a lot of examples of brands that have done it as to how you know you can you can make a difference within your business so I think little things like uh, the 5% club is, is one of our maxims, you know, which is where you sort of take 5% of your budget. So it doesn't have to be 5%, but just this experiment, do things you wouldn't normally do, just test. It's that Silicon Valley fail forward fast kind of mechanism. But it's amazing how you can you can really learn from that. Or another one is to ask heretical questions, you know, ask really difficult, challenging questions, sometimes up to 50. You know, often people brainstorm and stop around the 20 question mark. But if you can get to 50 questions, it's a technique called question storming. That's, I think, is a really interesting way of uh, sort of unlocking different ideas that no one else is thinking of, getting you into that blue ocean space rather than the, the bloodbath of red where all your competitors are sort of competing against each other. For sure. Well, it's going on the company library uh, from my side, so... Brilliant. Paul, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's been a fantastic episode. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for inviting me, Amrit. I really enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to hearing hearing more in your series, what other people have to say. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 